preach the gospel that those who turn to Jesus Christ, the Savior whom God has sent, have the forgiveness of their sins and may worship God with a free and good conscience, knowing that for all of our weaknesses and shortcomings, He is nonetheless pleased with us through Christ. Let's then uh, worship God by opening His Word and submitting ourselves uh, to it. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 16. Second Kings 16. This chapter is about the life and reign of King Ahaz in Judah. And we're going to take it in two parts uh, this morning, this week, focusing on uh, verses 1 through 9 of Second Kings 16. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Elath, and the Edomites came to Elath, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria, and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Cure, and he killed Rezin. So far from Second Kings, let's also turn to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 1, and we'll read through chapter 8, verse 10. Isaiah 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. 
Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you, are, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the, the, the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your, your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that, in that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver uh, will become briars and thorns. With bows and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get a reliable witness, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently, and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. 
for God is with us. So far, the word of the Lord God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 37, stanzas 1, 2, 7, and 16. As mentioned, the text that we'll be focusing on is 2 Kings 16, the verses 1 through 9, focusing on the life, especially the political life of King Ahaz. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let me begin by making just a few observations about where we are now in the book of Kings. Uh, First of all, in case you didn't notice it, uh, it is really important to recognize that we are suddenly now dealing with the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, So up till now, the book of Kings has primarily focused, with a few exceptions, but primarily on the northern kingdom of Israel. The ministries of Elijah, Elisha, all these were done in the northern kingdom. But now suddenly we're in the south. Uh, And if you've been paying attention at all, you'll know that in the north, it's been just one disaster after another. One failure of a king after another, uh, culminating in the chapter that we read last time, where we have Israelite kings committing just unthinkable atrocities against their own people. Uh, And and what we saw last time, too, in Israel is, is that Israel is finally now right on the brink of extinction, Uh, They are soon to be no more. Uh, You read that in Isaiah as well. He said, "These, these lands are about to cease to exist. Israel is about to disappear from the map. Uh, So that's the situation in Israel, but suddenly now we're moving south and taking a look at what's going on in Judah. And the tragedy is, never before have we seen this kind of king, this kind of failure in Judah. Uh, We've seen poor kings, kings that did not serve. And of course, we had Athaliah, uh, who was a wicked queen, but she didn't last long. For the rest, they've been uh, kings that did not do everything right, but also did not receive this kind of uh, assessment from God. But now we have an absolute failure, an evil man on the throne of David. Uh, This is the throne of David, the heir to God's promises. You know, the blood of David running through this man's veins, doing the kinds of things that we see here. That should be troubling to us, saying, I thought this only happened in Israel. But no, now we see it also here. That's the first thing. Secondly, we want to observe here the generational pattern that is on display here in the book of Kings. Because it's a pattern that plays out seemingly again and again and again in Kings. Uh, And let's be honest, it happens as well in the church. The pattern is this. uh, Whenever you have one or two or three generations that compromise in their faith, they don't abandon their faith, but they compromise, eventually you get a generation that walks away altogether. Uh, You see that in in Ahaz. For multiple generations now, we've heard the repeated refrain. He did what was right, but not with all his heart. He didn't remove the high places. Uh, He compromised in his faith. Uh, And now we get a king who takes that compromise and goes all the way with it, uh, who walks away altogether. Uh, you have a king who, who takes the compromise to a new level, who says, uh, well, if, if God's word never, seemingly never needed to be obeyed here with respect to the high places, 
for, all, for my dad's life and my grandpa's life and my great-grandpa's life, if it never needs to be obeyed here, why does it, the word of God need to be obeyed here? And so he walks away altogether. I hope that that hits home for us as well as we read the book of Kings. It's meant to be a warning to us and and even one of the primary lessons that the book of Kings seeks to drive home. Uh, it, It teaches us to think generationally, to not just think about our life, but what legacy are we leaving for our children and our grandchildren and the generations beyond? Uh, what kind of compromises does our generation tolerate that we will then pass on to the next? Uh, every time you read about a king who reigned and it says he did good or evil in the sight of the Lord, we should be asking, uh, what would God say of us? What kind of assessment and legacy would, be, would we leave behind? Uh, every one of us will leave a legacy of some kind. Uh, e- even if you're, you're not parents, even if it's not to your own children, uh, you think of the legacy, for example, of the high priest Jehoshaphat and, and his wife Jehoshaphat uh, back in, in, in chapter 13, who in their old age uh, intervened to save the last son of David, and, and they left a legacy. It wasn't even their own child, but they left a legacy that endured. Now, our time on on earth may seem like we have a long time, especially when you're young. It seems like you have a long time on earth, uh, though though you never know. You you could be called home much sooner than, than you think. But in reality, either way, even if you live to 80, 90, 100 years, it's a short time in the grand scheme of things. And the book of Kings teaches you to ask, what are you doing with that time? What legacy, what role are you playing in the kingdom of God in, those short span, in, in that short span of years? Uh, the Bible so often speaks of our lives as, as a flower that blossoms for a moment and then fades. What do you leave behind in that short time? Uh, God gives us the opportunity to leave a legacy behind that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren pick up. A legacy that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. Well, the tragedy in Judah then is that the legacy has been one of compromise for several generations already. Uh, Not wholesale disobedience, but just compromise. An unwillingness to deal with their own compromises. And that's particularly highlighted in the the high places, these private places of worship that were contrary to God's word, who God wanted everyone to worship at the temple, and and people wanted to do their own sort of private religion. And the kings uh, lived with it. They tolerated it. They refused to deal with it. It's compromise. Well, now that compromise blossoms into full-scale disobedience. Uh, One last thing that should be said about where we're at in the big picture uh, is to look at Ahaz's life and his his political situation. This really helps to put his life into perspective and to help us understand this text and its implications for our lives. Uh, First, our text tells us of Ahaz's idolatries. Uh, 
And it is the worst evaluation of a king that we've ever seen uh, in Judah so far. It says he not only followed the practices of the kings of Israel, uh, which in, in Second Chronicles you can read further about what that entails. It entails worshiping Baal, for example. But he even went to the extreme of, of practicing child sacrifice, the very practice of the Canaanite nations for which God said, I'm going to drive these people out. Uh, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it, it literally says he, he made his sons pass through the fire. Now, there are some commentaries that try to downplay what that means and say, well, maybe it just, they just went really fast through the fire and it was uh, sort of a symbolic thing. Uh, but the text identifies what he did as the practice of the nations that God had driven out of Canaan, which was child sacrifice. Their children were burned to death in the fire. Uh, the, the Bible consistently, it's one of the interesting things in the Old Testament, it consistently speaks of, of this practice, child sacrifice, as the very pinnacle of evil to which a nation can ever attain. It's child sacrifice that finally says to God, the, the Canaanite nations have gone far enough. Their sin has reached the brim. It's now time to drive them out. It's the very pinnacle of national sin. A nation that sacrifices its own children uh, to its gods is a nation that has reached the highest point of evil, and it's a nation that God will soon wipe out. Uh, and uh, even thinking about that, of course, we should recognize that is something that should bring us to our knees here in Canada as we live in a nation with the scourge of, of abortion, in, uh, millions of innocent, unborn children sacrificed to the gods of, of money, of career, of freedom, of independence. Uh, we, we are in a nation and a time not unlike that it, which Israel was in. Uh, so if there's ever a time for us to fall on our knees and pray to God for mercy for our country, uh, surely that time is now. Uh, now God's judgment for Judah began with an invasion by Israel. So Israel in the north is now invading Judah in the south. Now Ahaz was in a very tough situation politically. If you remember from previous chapters, Judah is much, much smaller than Israel. They're not nearly as powerful as, as Israel to the north. If you remember from a couple chapters back when King Ahaziah uh, was on the throne, you remember he conquered Edom and he, he came home feeling pretty good about himself for having conquered Edom. And, and then he went and challenged uh, Israel to a fight. And the king of Israel said, you really don't want this fight. Uh, but, but the fight came and, and Judah was was badly beaten. The Israelite army came, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, took home uh, spoils and captives. Uh, so Judah was puny, uh, powerless compared to Israel. So you can understand Ahaz's fear when he hears that not only Israel, but also Syria to the north of Israel have banded together, and their plan is to go and invade Judah. Uh, in Isaiah 7, you, you read a bit more about that plan. They wanted to remove Ahaz from the throne and put this uh, son of Tabeel. Uh, we don't know who that is. But they wanted to put him on the throne. 
now, the reason behind this, we actually have historical records of this coalition. And the reason they, they banded together was because they wanted together to join their forces and fight against Assyria, the great empire of Assyria, uh, out in the direction of Babylon. So they had decided, we're going to get all the surrounding nations to form a coalition, and then we'll be strong enough to fight Assyria. But Judah refused to be a part of it. Judah said, we don't want to be a part of this coalition uh, because there's not a hope of actually winning against Assyria. Uh, But in response to that, uh, uh, Syria and Israel said, fine, we'll just take your king off the throne and we're going to get your armies one way or another. So they go to war against Judah. And the surprising, even amazing thing is that they're unable to prevail against Judah. You know, Syria and Israel together, mighty armies, unable to prevail against Judah. Uh, now, Second Chronicles 28 uh, tells the story from, from, the Judah, from the side of Judah, and it actually reveals they, they suffered heavy casualties. Uh, 120,000 men of Judah died in that invasion. Uh, additionally, the Israelites had, had gathered together to haul away into slavery 200,000 women and children. That's basically all of the villages of, of Judah. Uh, they gathered them together and they were going to drag them off into slavery. And the only thing that stopped them was a few God-fearing men left in Israel uh, who said, these are still our own brothers, we shouldn't be doing this. So they left the women and children uh, behind. Uh, but in any case, Judah has, has now just suffered a huge invasion, massive casualties, and they have literally no army left. Uh, they are without an army. Uh, so if, if, Judah, or if Israel and Syria ever decide, you know, let's try it again, uh, because now we've decimated their army, uh, Judah would be defenseless. Uh, at the same time, Judah can take note of the fact that though we are powerless, somehow God has prevented them from prevailing against us. And that's the point that Isaiah highlights. We'll see that in, in just a minute. But Isaiah wants Ahaz to see God has still defended you. Yes, you suffered huge casualties, but your throne didn't fall, and that's a miracle in itself uh, because it should have fallen. They should have been able to prevail, but they didn't. Uh, so Ahaz sees that. He, he recognizes that. But he nonetheless panics now in the face of more news that Israel and Syria are coming uh, again to invade. Uh, So he he panics, and instead of going to the Lord's prophets, he turns to Assyria for aid. Uh, Now, that's actually politically a very good decision, to turn to Assyria for aid. Uh, When you read from Isaiah 7 and 8, Isaiah says, don't do it. Uh, But if you're thinking about it politically, it's a pretty hard thing to to defend Isaiah's counsel. uh, Where Isaiah is saying, no, don't put your trust in man, just just repent, put your trust in the Lord, and the Lord will protect Judah once again. Uh, Ahaz was not persuaded by that, and understandably, because that's not a very good military strategy to say, uh, you know, we have no army, but we're just going to trust the Lord and, and hope that the armies." Of, of Israel and Syria don't get us. Uh, from a political perspective, uh, it made a lot of sense to go to Assyria. Uh, Assyria was many, many times more powerful than Israel and, and Syria combined. 
Assyria was much more powerful. And Assyria had a good reason to help Judah because these two nations were trying to form a coalition in order to attack Assyria. So it made sense to now send a messenger out to Assyria saying, help us, we're going to be on your side, we don't want to be part of this rebellion, come and save us. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, at least in, at first glance. Uh, so it may sound pious, I'm trying to think of it from Ahaz's perspective, it might sound pious to say, well, let's just put our trust in the Lord, but Ahaz is thinking, does that make any sense? Uh, We need a plan, and our plan needs to be more than let's just trust God. Uh, And at first glance, history would even seem to suggest that Ahaz actually did the right thing. Uh, He called on Assyria, and Assyria responded. Assyria sent its armies over to to, uh, Syria and, and Israel, and they absolutely wiped out the armies of Syria and Israel. It says they they executed Rezin, the king of Syria, and that probably would have been a very gruesome execution, as was their normal practice towards rebels. Uh, So from Ahaz's perspective, it kind of sounds like Isaiah was wrong. It, It was a good idea to call on Assyria. They responded, and it worked. Uh, And it leaves you with the question, is the word of God perhaps a little naive? Are the prophets perhaps a little naive to say that all we should do is just trust in the Lord uh, when from, from the military's perspective, we, we still need a plan? Well, that's why we read from Isaiah 7 and 8, because there the prophet nonetheless makes the case for repentance and trusting in the Lord uh, instead of turning to Assyria. And it's worth considering the, the prophet's arguments. Uh, Ahaz's decision, yes, does make sense at first glance. As the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, And Assyria is a pretty powerful friend to have. Uh, And so what Ahaz did is is he fell in love with Assyria. He gave himself. He says to the king of Assyria, I'm your son. He commits himself with absolute loyalty to Assyria. uh, And he pillages the temple and sends off its treasures to Assyria. Now, he succeeded in eliminating the threat of Israel and Syria. But Isaiah says, it's a stupid decision. You shouldn't have done it. Uh, Why? Why was that a foolish thing to do? Well, first of all, Isaiah points out, because Assyria knows about this coalition anyways, and they're coming to destroy it anyways. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 is is the prophecy of Isaiah to Ahaz before Ahaz made the decision to go and call for help from Assyria. And Isaiah's point is, they're coming anyways. They're going to destroy Israel and Syria anyways. In short time, uh, these nations are going to be gone. They're not even going to exist. So, so trust, put your trust in the Lord. Let Assyria and, and Syria and Israel fight their battles. You stay out of it. That's Isaiah's counsel. Uh, and, and he illustrates that with this, this very famous prophecy of the virgin who will conceive and, and bear a son, uh, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, there's a lot of debate about what in the world does that have to do with, with this uh, uh, situation. But the way, it, the way that Isaiah is explaining it is there are virgins here today. Uh, here in, in the midst of Judah, who are not yet married, who will be having children in a few short years, and will be naming their children Emmanuel, 
God with us, which would be a ludicrous name to give to your child in that time under those circumstances. And he's saying those virgins are going to have children, are going to call their name Emmanuel, and before these kids are four years old, you know, old enough to know the difference from, from right and wrong, before they're, they're even that old, these two nations, Assyria, or Syria and Israel, are going to be gone. That's Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, so he, he's saying very soon those nations, this, this huge threat that you're so terrified of is not even going to be there anymore. Uh, Assyria is going to come and is going to wipe them out. Stop worrying about it. Uh, so he says, if, if only you would trust God, that would be the outcome. If you would trust God, there will soon be uh, people naming their children Emmanuel. God is with us. If you would trust God. However, that prophecy never happened. It never came to fulfillment. Because Ahaz chose not to trust God. Uh, instead, he decided to pillage the temple and, and give his, his gold and silver to Assyria and give his wholehearted allegiance to Assyria, begging Assyria for help. Uh, so not only then did he rob the living God of his treasures, of his temple, uh, and, and rob Judah in, in that way of Judah's very identity as the people of God, where the temple was. Uh, but on top of that, uh, he, he made himself Assyria's, uh, Assyria's vassal. He, he got Assyria's attention, and that's a bad thing to do. You don't want Assyria's attention. Uh, before Ahaz had cried out for help, Judah was really just a fly on the wall. They're not a significant country. Assyria didn't care. Uh, But now that he's got their attention, he becomes their slave, and he will never get out of that. Uh, It's kind of like, to give an illustration, it'd be kind of like uh, calling upon the mafia... To, to deliver you from a drug gang. So you're in, in, in some sort of battle with a local drug gang, and you say, um, you know, they're coming for you, and you say, you know what, I'm going to call the mafia for help. Now, the mafia would be happy to come and help you. Uh, they get rid of a, another little local enemy. That's great for them. But that's a bad idea. You don't want them as your friend. Because once you've got their attention, you now owe them a debt, and you can rest assured you're never going to be done paying that debt. Well, that's what happened with Ahaz and Assyria. Uh, Assyria. Ahaz became Assyria's vassal, and he would never be done. Judah would never be done paying that debt. Uh, in fact, in 20 years, Assyria, Judah would finally run out of money, and Assyria would come and, and absolutely devastate the nation of, of Judah, uh, pillaging all of its villages, besieging Jerusalem, and it was, uh, to date, the bloodiest, most horrible invasion that Judah had ever experienced coming from Assyria. So Isaiah's counsel had been, leave them alone. Let them fight their own battles. Don't get involved. Uh, and he illustrates this with a metaphor of a river uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 8. Uh, he says in Isaiah 8, this is now after Ahaz made that decision. No, I'm going to call on Assyria anyways. Uh, he says in Isaiah 8 verse 6, Because this people 
has refused the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. Now, Shiloah is a, a, a small neighborhood in, in Jerusalem. So this is saying the gently flowing waters of Jerusalem. Uh, and rejoices or, or esteems Rezin and the son of Remaliah, the, the kings of, of, uh, of Israel and Syria. It says, because they have refused the flowing waters of Shiloah and rejoice over Rezin and, and the son of Remaliah, therefore look, the Lord is bringing up the waters of the mighty river against them, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And he, this river, is going to rise. Uh, it's not only going to wipe out the enemies you want it to wipe out, but it's going to rise up, he says, above its channels, and that river is going to flow all over its banks and is going to sweep right on into Judah as well and will overflow and flood you up to the neck. Uh, so Isaiah the picture that Isaiah is, is trying to give here is uh, the Lord's presence in Jerusalem is perhaps small, perhaps humble in the eyes of the nations, but it's like the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. Uh, that's your inheritance. God's presence with you. Might not look like much in the eyes of the world, but look, you've been protected up till now. God has been with you up till now. But if you're going to forsake that, and you're saying, I'd like the mighty rivers of Assyria, then God's saying, fine. Uh, you'll get exactly what you're asking for. Uh, the, the, the waters of Shiloah are, may not be impressive like Assyria, but once you get Assyria instead, uh, you will regret that choice. Uh, it will come and sweep over its banks. Uh, so it, it's essentially saying when you reject the humble presence of God as your inheritance and you choose the might of the nations instead, uh, be careful what you wish for because you'll get it. Uh, as I think about this, I think about one of the most con uh, common refrains in Scripture, particularly in the book of Proverbs, uh, which, by the way, was a book that, that Ahaz had. It was written by Solomon, so Ahaz had this, this book in his presence. And how often doesn't Proverbs teach the same message? Better to have very little with the presence of the Lord than to have much without the blessing and favor of the Lord. Proverbs 15, verse 16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Or the Psalms of David, right? The, the Ahaz would have had these as well. How often does David not sing about the very same thing? Uh, Psalm 16, verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Or Psalm 40, verse 4, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods. Uh, the people of Israel or of Judah had these texts. Uh, that was part of the word of God that they had in that time. But Ahaz chooses to find his strength and his help in the strength of man. Ahaz, in other words, was tired. He was tired of having, uh, having just a little with the fear of the Lord. He was tired of just having the humble portion of David. And he wanted to be part of the global might of Assyria. He was rejecting these gently flowing waters of Shiloah in favor of the mighty rivers of Assyria. Uh, that's why he, in fact, that's why he chased after these other gods uh, that he worshipped Baal and he worshipped these other gods. They were the gods of the nations around. He wanted to be someone. 
He wanted to be significant in in the global scene. And so now in the hour of panic, that same heart shows itself and he turns, instead of turning to to God, whose presence may be humble, but whose presence is secure and whose presence is pure, he turns instead to Assyria. And so Isaiah declares, in essence, fine, have it your way. If you want Assyria, You'll get Assyria. Assyria will come, but mark my words, it will keep on coming until it overflows its banks into Judah as well. And it did. That, that happened, and it's, it's historically well documented, that invasion that happened in 20 short years. When Judah ran out of money to pay Assyria, Assyria came, and it was worse than anything they had ever seen before. So let's stop and think then about the legacy of Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz wanted to, to have the legacy of the man who, who uh, to use the, the modern phrase, uh, made Judah great again. The man who put Judah on, on the global scene. The man who associated Judah with, uh, with, uh, with Assyria, the mighty nation. But the real legacy that Ahaz left was a legacy of forsaking the God of his father David and turning to gods who are not gods at all. It was a legacy of introducing Judah to the paganism of the nations around and a legacy of subjecting Judah into slavery to Assyria and all the consequences that would very soon come as a result of that. Uh, It was an irreversible decision to put himself under Assyria. Once you're there, you can never get out. And that's the legacy that he really left for Judah uh, and, and for his children. His children and his grandchildren had to deal with the effects of his decision to associate with the might and power of the world and forsake the God of Judah. Well, brothers and sisters, we proclaim it at the beginning of every service we did this morning as well. We say our help comes from where? Comes from the name of God who made heaven and earth. And that's the most uh, fundamental question that's being asked here as well. Where, from where does your help truly come? Does it come from the might of man? Does it come from significance in the eyes of the world? Or does it come from those gently flowing waters of Shiloh. They don't look like much to the eyes of the world. Uh, They are humble, but they are constant, and they are pure. From where does your help come? It's easy enough for us to say in the abstract, as we do every Sunday, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, And that's, that's a good confession to make. But that confession is put to the test uh, in our lives, in the daily decisions of our lives. Uh, What do we invest in? What do we spend our time on? What priorities do we construct our lives around? Do our lives proclaim the same message that our help comes from the name of the Lord? That we choose the gently flowing waters of Shiloh? Well, that's the legacy that we will ultimately leave behind. That's the question that will really make a difference. From where did your help come now, it may be hard for us, uh, you know, 3,000 years later to see any connection between Ahaz and our own lives. Uh, but consider this. It was in response to this crisis 
that God gave this promise of the virgin who would conceive and bear a son. And we've already seen what that probably meant in its original context, uh, but it's a prophecy that never came to pass. And in the subsequent generations, the people of Israel or Judah looked back on that prophecy and said, God meant something more there. There's something there in that prophecy that has not yet come to fulfillment. Uh, that uh, the, the same principle is there, that, that God will be with us. God will deliver us through the child to be born to the virgin. And, and yes, it is in response to Ahaz's decision that God did send the armies of Assyria. He did wipe that nation out. But also in response to that was the promise that when all this was said and done, after Assyria had devastated Judah, that God would then restore them. And it's as Isaiah works that out in the following chapters, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9, as he works out what's going to happen next after Assyria comes and ravishes this land. What happens then? It's in Isaiah 9 that he he speaks of a child to be born, a son to be given, upon whom the government of the world would rest, whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, uh, whose rule over this earth would increase uh, and, and who would rule on the throne of David forever. So it's in response to Ahaz's failure that God says there will be consequences for that failure but then I will deliver this people nonetheless I will save though they did not look for my salvation in other words it's precisely because Ahaz failed and because his failure is our failure because we so often make the same choice it's because of our sin and our failure that God sent the Savior into our world to be born in Bethlehem to become the king that Ahaz never was. The king who would choose the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, uh, who found his sustenance um, in those waters even as he went to the cross saying, Father, your will be done. The king who was offered the very same deal that Ahaz is being offered. Jesus was also offered in the wilderness by Satan saying, uh, just bow before me. Just be my son, so to speak, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Ahaz said, yes. The Lord Jesus said, no. Uh, I shall worship and serve the Lord alone. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's the king that we serve, our righteous, just, and faithful king, exactly the king that Ahaz never was, that all the kings before him, even David, never were. That's the king that God sent in response to our failures. And the glory of it all, then, is that you and I belong to that king. We belong to the King Jesus Christ. Now, you know, you almost feel a, a, a sickening hopelessness as you read the book of Kings. You think, what failures, one after another, uh, just and culminating in people like Ahaz who, who fail so grievously. And you begin to, to think, uh, when is anything ever going to come that, that will ever be good for Judah? When are they ever going to learn? When will, will a king come who can actually lead these people in righteousness? And if the line of David, uh, you know, it was bad enough in Israel, but if the line of David is going to fail this badly, who could ever save us? And that's the message Kings intends to teach us. 
These people will not save you. Do not put your trust in man. Put your trust in God because salvation will come from him alone. The kingdom of God will be built by Christ alone uh, and not by the strength of men. And so there is in this text also an abiding call to you and to me, uh, to those who belong to King Jesus. We're faced with the very same question. And Satan asks the same question that he asked to Ahaz, that Ahaz said yes to, that he asked Jesus, that Jesus said no to. Satan asks those que- that same question to us as well. Uh, follow me. Be my servant. And I will give you significance. I will give you a place in the world scene. I will give you prosperity and happiness. And we too are called to say with our Lord Jesus, no. Our king is Jesus. We will not serve the the devil. Uh, the, The same question is asked of us. From where does our help come? And may it be that we who belong to Christ can say, looking to our Savior and how he chose the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, may we be able to say likewise, we with Christ shall serve our God. Uh, He has been with us. He continues to lead us and guide us and sustain us. We know He doesn't look like much in the eyes of the world. Uh, We know that we might seem small. We might seem silly. We might seem backwards in the eyes of the world. But He is our God. He's been with us thus far. And we continue to choose Him. Uh, The wealth of the world, the mighty rivers around us, uh, the pleasure, the strength of men, uh, we recognize those mighty waters, as attractive as they often are, are waters that if you choose them, will destroy you. Just as Assyria did to Ahaz. You know, we as a church, we, we experience times of being small. Uh, we get that, uh, the same struggle that Ahaz, uh, that Ahaz felt. Uh, we get that the world looks at us as a small and insignificant people, but we know that from Christ flow these gently flowing waters that lead to eternal life. And we know as we look forward, those gentle waters are going to become, a, under Christ's kingdom, a mighty river of their own, a river that, like Assyria's river, will overflow and fill its and all fill all of its banks, but will fill the banks for the healing of the nations. Revelation talks about that the waters that that fill the earth and are for the healing of the nations. Well, brothers and sisters, we have our privilege of finding our strength and our sustenance in those gently flowing waters and being even a part. Of, of Christ taking those waters out to the nations. Uh, so may that also be our legacy. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 16 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue those who trust in it. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and on those who hope in His steadfast love. May that also be where our hope is. That's also what we proclaim in baptism. We say these gently flowing waters, uh, the, the grace of God has taken this child and made him his own. And there may, may he also find his strength as he hopes and trusts in God. Amen. 
Let's sing in response to God's word from Psalm 46, stanzas 1 through 5.